Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18 and our 2023 NHL Draft Review of the Pacific Division, powered by Instat Hockey, offering large data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're going to start with the Anaheim Ducks, who took Leo Carlson third overall. I did have great amusement. Uh, by the general media, um, gasping and going, oh, I thought they were t- going to take Fantilli. I'm like, Martin Madden's going to take whomever he wants, right? Like, we shouldn't be surprised by that. If you really look back at his track record, it's not shouldn't be a surprise that he took Leo Carlson there. And it's a pick em. You could take Fantilli and, be, and I would go, okay. And you could take Leo Carlson and I would go, okay. Like, I don't think it really matters. But I think it's a really great fit for Anaheim in terms of, you know, you have Zegris and you got Mac and you got Leo and you can put Mac over to the wing if you want, but you have options, you know, and you got another bigger bodied centerman down the middle along with Mac who can play a bit of a heavier game through the playoffs. So it sort of diversifies what your center position is like. And I, I always like to have a, you know, a couple heavier sentiment down the middle. It's nice to have, like, obviously the super skilled guys like Zegras, but I think Leo Carlson brings something different to the group, um, you know, amongst the other two. Yeah, the, the, the thing with Anaheim is I think they want to alleviate a bit of the pressure for Zegras, right? I, th- I think Zegras is a brilliant talent, um, but I think it's one of those situations where Leo Carlson coming in, it gives them more options, right? It, it makes their roster more versatile in the top six. Um, the, the the debate, you know, it, it's it's interesting publicly, right? Uh, you would very rarely see, um, honestly, a proper scouting ass- assessment of Adam Fantilli's game publicly. Don't get me wrong. This kid is like Adam Fantilli, as I described in the book, is a human hurricane. He's a human highlight reel. I love the kid. I think the kid's unbelievable. Like what he did in college is tremendous. His he's one of the most talented players in the draft. Incredible competitor. He's he's faster than Leo Carlson, right? When he comes when he comes streaking down a wing, he's more dangerous than Leo Carlson when it comes to shooting the puck. Okay, he's the he's the power play option where you got to worry about his one timer relative to Leo Carlson's. So from that perspective, I get it. But what you didn't see publicly. And this is true. Is not many people seem to understand Adam Fatili's uh, weaknesses. Hockey and sense. Those weaknesses, the hockey sense. It's his hockey sense. You rarely saw people discuss it with Quentin Byfield. You rarely saw it discussed with even Alex Newhook. That was a player that we targeted in BCHL where we were a little worried. That's why I pulled him back. A little worried about how the sense would translate. Um, despite having wheels, despite having remarkable flash and dash and and, and highlight real moments, right? So. Um, Get into Anaheim. I, you know, one one thing we talk about draft strategy and, and what teams look for. One thing you can almost guarantee that Anaheim looks for is is the sense for the game, um, and then they pull sense back depending on the the tools of the player and the power element of the player. Sometimes on sometimes they'll take power forwards that are not as intelligent as long as they play like a very heavy game. But in terms of like their centers and how they operate and what they look for, they There's really look for intelligence. Center and so, defense are always guys with hockey Always, sense. always yeah. really intelligent players, right? So it really fits with what, what they what they look for. Uh, Leo Carlson's a brilliant playmaker. 
He's a, he's a better playmaker than Adam Ventili. That was not discussed publicly, but that is the truth. Right? I would not be here in the position I'm in today discussing this unless I could assess that. And that, that is the truth. Is He is a better playmaker than Adam Ventili. Uh, it is his bread and butter. He can't shoot as well. He can't skate as well. He's not as competitive. So how does that equal that he should still be ahead of Adam Ventili? It's because when you look at the raw base of him, he's further out from developing into his finished his final finished product relative to Fatili. Fatili is the one where you can place him in the NHL next season, which is going to happen with Columbus, and he's ready to go. He's going to fire on all cylinders. He's already a conditioned athlete. He's already extremely strong for his age. He's already big. Leo Carlson's big too, but he has more room to grow into his frame. There's more untapped potential within his game. He does things at a level that Adam Fentili can't when it comes to processing the play. His adaptive processing ability, which means his ability to process play in real time, is outstanding. It, it means that when he's making a handling play in transition and trying to uh, make adjustments and read the opposing defense's base and triangle and how to manipulate that, moment-to-moment -moment ability to adapt to what the defense is doing is above Adam Fentili's. Then you look at the preset processing, which for, for myself, what that means is the ability to mentally map the ice and then be able to plan a step ahead of the opposition and find an option. So for instance, being able to fly down a wing, stop up, adjust a lane, freeze the defense, and then hit your trailer or hit your backdoor option with a perfectly timed pass. That is something that Leo Carlson projects to do at a much better rate than Adam Fentili. Right. So there's some back and forth. The other aspect, too, is that because Leo Carlson anticipates the play better, he doesn't react as much as Fentili. He's much more of an anticipatory style of player. It allows him to get ahead of the play, stay above the play. And that means he can be the more projectable center because he can be the supporting option for his well, defense yeah, he's much at better a higher rate. Right. Better defensively because he understands where he needs to be. It was it's just a, a quote that I remember from Bob Ganey when they had brought in. Um, now I'm forgetting his name, uh, Guy Carbono, And one of his pro scouts said, yeah, but Bob, he can't skate anymore, but he knows where to stand, right? You understand where you need to be in relative to the play, right? So he's always going to be in a better body position, which is going to give him distinctive advantages. Um, instead of having to chase the play, I don't think he's going to play, be a player defensively that has to chase the play when he's in his prime years. And I think that gives him a distinct advantage. Uh, we should probably talk about their second round picks as well. Uh, let's talk about Nico uh, Mayatovic. I want your thoughts on him. There is a big body winger, 6'3". He hasn't filled out yet because he's only 185 pounds. Um, can play off wing, right wing. He's a left-handed shot. So thoughts on him in Seattle. Because it was really interesting. There's always a challenge when you have a really stacked team with a lot of NHL draft picks and you have draft eligible players and the question is how much of that is them and then how much of that is their environment in terms of their production and then you got to break it back down to you know what they do with the opportunities presented to themselves and so you have to try to balance that a little bit thoughts on on Nico as a player overall well, he was on the best team in the CHL, and it was just Seattle. He was just a phenomenally talented team, and he was a complimentary piece on that team, and he projects to be a complimentary piece. What's interesting about Miatovic's game is when you project him out in five years, and as you just mentioned, he still has a lot of room to fill out. If he can get up to 210, 220, 
I think he has a really good chance of being an extremely difficult player to contain down low. Um, for me, I'll be you know honest here. I, I think he was pretty inconsistent overall this season. Um, but, you know, I, I think this pick screams to the potential of what he could do if he learns to be able to stay in possession a bit longer. What he can do in the playoffs. Play. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. all about playing weighted, uh, generating weighted minutes, right? We discuss how you, when, when you're talking about playoff hockey and uh, you want you want players on your team that can force the defense to get tired quicker because a tired defense makes more mental mistakes. The more mental mistakes, the more likely you're the one who wins in overtime. Right. And that's what yeah. it's all about in playoff hockey. It's about draining opposing teams. So Mionovic uh, projects to be that complimentary uh, uh, player that can play a heavy weighted game. Um, one thing I'll say is, although he was inconsistent, I felt he got uh, much more comfortable with recognizing the simpler but safer and smarter play more often than he did in the initial part of the season. He, he started understanding how to operate at a better rate for what he needs to develop into, which is a, a pretty a pretty useful power forward. Again, it's all about those down low elements and using his range and his, and his size to his advantage. Let's talk about Damian Clara, who they took in the third, uh, actually the end of the second round, 60th overall. I know we talked about him as as a goaltender in the past at at six six and 200, 210 pounds plus. Uh, thoughts on him? Just because it's an interesting path for his development, and I'm really curious to see what he does in the Elsvenskin this year with Brenes. And uh, thoughts on him at that spot? Because I knew you you know you had talked quite a bit about him and thought very highly of him as a goaltender. Yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite goalies in this class. So we, we, we talk about draft strategy, the, the uh, other segment we did. Uh, okay, so they take Leo Carlson second overall. For my money, one of the, the safest players in the entire class. I cannot imagine him not playing meaningful games in the NHL, right? Just way too, way too intelligent, way too talented. So you look at their second pick, Miatovic. Had a pretty good season, complimentary piece, but was heading in the right direction, right curve. Um, should at least play in a depth capacity. So what does that give them an option of doing? It's time for a boom bust home run pick, and that's exactly what Damian Clara is. Damian Clara has the best raw athleticism, I think, out of any any goalie in this class. Uh, it's between him and Adam Guyan, and the, the, it's a bit tricky because Guyan's further ahead in terms of his age, right? Guyan was yeah. one of the older goalies available in this class at the top end where Clara is younger. Um, I'll say this about Damian Clara that's really never been mentioned publicly. I don't know why, but here, here it is, which is that at the beginning portion of the season, he had uh, a safe percentage in his first 12 starts that was under 890. Uh, the rest of the way, 920. So, and it's just flat. So it doesn't mean a ton, but hey, I'll take the 920 over the 880. Any week, right? Um, he is in a new position, so he's Italian. What that means, he actually already got to play uh, Division One hockey at the World Championship level. So he got a couple of opportunities to play against men, uh, and he didn't look out of place there. The big thing with Damian Clara, he reminds me very similarly psychologically to Elvis Merzlikens. Um, and that that's, that's going to be the deciding factor of his career, is how much he can rein in his, his intensity and how, how confident he can get uh, while remaining consistent within his game without losing his game. He can be uh, this, this, a bit aggressive for a big he goalie, can, he's, he's and an he intense, doesn't have to be because he's 6'6". Well, he's a very competitive person, yeah. right? And some of that can bleed out on the ice, and you can see it in some of his performances. You just you need him to gain that consistency mentally because the athletic traits and upside are absolutely unbelievable. So I, I love the pick, and I, I think um, Anaheim does a very good job with their development uh, system with Great goalies. Job. 
excellent job. And so I think I think it's a fantastic upside upside pick. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about the Calgary Flames right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back for our 2023 NHL Draft Review of the Pacific Division, powered by Instat Hockey. Offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, we're going to talk about the Calgary Flames draft. We'll start with Samuel Honzik at 16th overall. You know, we both talked about him quite a bit, obviously, at the uh, doing our preview of the World Juniors and then a review of that, uh, the, you know, U18s, and then, you know, going into, obviously, our draft coverage as well. Thoughts on him in terms of the value at 16? Because I thought that's pretty much where I expected him to fall. Whether I put him in that range or not, which I did, but that's where I kind of had him is always sort of that middle of the first round. I thought he just, that's where his value I think was best. And then he has a lot of options. There is some option for him to play in the middle of the middle of the ice. And there's some option options for him to play on the wing. And I think gives Calgary a lot of versatility in terms of a long-term player. Yeah. Well, it, you, one thing to remember is that if, if a team drafts somebody at 16, it usually means that they have them uh, within five, six, seven, maybe eight, nine spots, even higher than that. Right. right. You, you never know. Right. So for instance, like Arizona is, 
drafting Daniel Butte, everybody's like, oh my God, at 12, Arizona could have very well had Daniel Butte at five. Right. <laughs> like that's right. So, so it's one of those situations where maybe Calgary had Sam Hanzik in the top 10. We, we had Sam Hanzik in the top 11 at one point right. uh, before he pulled him back a little bit um, due to, to how his, he performed after he came back from his injury. Um, but yeah, so Sam Hanzik, really high upside pick. It's all about what he is in the future, not right now. Right now, there's still a lot of work to be done. So when he first came into the WHL, he was a streaking north-south, basically, shooter who relied too much on the shot quality. When he, Again, this is like we're talking October to November range, right? What we were hoping to see was that he would start adding elements to his game so that he would be less one-dimensional and recognize how much more he can take advantage of his toolkit, start cutting below the goal line, start looking for setup opportunities through that. And that's exactly what started to emerge. So by the by the time you hit him in Christmas and he was getting the U20s, you really started seeing him his development take off. He was starting to understand how to use his range and transition better. His handling was coming together. His leading playmaking was coming together. He was knowing he was he was really starting to recognize that using the back of the net to his advantage was was a fantastic way for him to be able to, to do exactly what we just talked about Miotovic. Get the defense to play weighted minutes, then he can set up his passes and make sure they're more short area. So that's when he really took off for us. I thought he was very good at the U20s. I thought it was one of those situations where you wanted to see how a big man could handle uh, a smaller ice surface at that pace and see how he would use his hands. Right. And, and that he was- did. That was the advantage of him coming over and playing Vancouver. And there's generally that three-month window. Usually it takes about Christmas for those European players to start to adjust to the point where they're no longer thinking about that additional ice surface. And their angles and how they attack and how they defend becomes autotelic in that respect. And I think that's... There was muscle memory there. There was muscle memory that started getting ingrained as a result of his development. So uh, the the one thing with him, though, is that he did get injured, and we felt he wasn't the same player after his injury. So that was one thing we tried to take into consideration. It was one of the reasons we dropped him a bit uh, towards the second half of the season. Um, His playmaking rates plummeted for me, personally, when I was watching him in the second half. So that's one thing I really want to monitor here. Uh, I'm sure Calgary will will, will try to address that. And how much of that was based on his injury? Well, that's, well, that's it. Part, it's, yeah. it's it's very difficult because he did have a concussion. Um, so it's one of those situations where he, he fell off. He didn't have the curve that was just soaring like it was for some of these other players. Um, but his his upside is tremendous. His his style of play, I, I emphasize style because I think he's more talented at the same age. Um, but he's very similar right now in some ways to Pierre Engvall. Very similar. The range, the frame, the skating ability. The thing with, with – um, Hansik, and I'm sure Calgary will attempt to draw it out of him, is that he, the competitive nature of this kid, we wish he dialed it up a bit more. He could be a lot more dominant than he currently was this past season. But again, that's where the maturation process comes into play and, and you need to give them more time. But very high upside pick by Calgary. Well, it's a matter of him adjusting to the North American ice, adjusting to North American life. You know, different culture, different food, different lifestyle. There's that aspect of it. A concussion is thrown into the mix in terms of that as well. So there may be some tentativeness of terms of coming back from that, which is completely understandable from that standpoint. So curious to see what happens with that. We should talk about Antian Moran, the 48th overall second round pick for Calgary Flames. I got to see him a lot, obviously, uh, in Moncton. Interesting player in terms of his offensive output. 
Um, not the most um, electrifying skater by any means, but he's efficient. And I saw a play specifically in the playoffs where it was chaotic in his own zone. He managed to get the puck away in a scramble, and then he just sort of backed up slowly and allowed the game to open up in front of him. And then he could see where that the, the best option was. While everyone else is running around, he just slowly backed up. I'm like, that was a pro play. You know, it's just like it, it tells something to his level of intelligence. I think he just needs time. He's a guy who he just needs a little bit more time in terms of his development over the next couple of years before he gets thrown into the American Hockey League. Yeah, incredibly uh, poised, calculated defenseman. Yeah, he's a very cunning. intelligent player. Yeah. Uh, one of those it's one of those players where he very rarely forces options, right? He let, lets the game breathe, as you put it, right? Like yeah. he, the play you just described, he lets the game breathe, uh, doesn't force plays. He understands what he is, and he very rarely attempts to force himself outside of his comfort zone. Uh, because of his poise, it means that he has a very high panic threshold, very rarely rushes plays. Uh, the, the big area of concern with Moran what is the skating. Uh, it, it does need to come through. Obviously, Calgary thinks that they can develop it because they, they took him in the second. Um, and uh, we did too. We were very high on him. Uh, we, we really like the pick. He's he's one of the defensemen that he's that second wave of defensemen where don't be shocked in a redraft. He ends up in that first phase if the skating really comes. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if, if skating was good, I mean, good comparative against his peer group, he's in the first round. Easily. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah, from that standpoint. So I like I'm just curious to see how his, you know, continue to develop his defensive game and how much better his skating gets. And if he is a slightly above average skater as a defenseman, I think that's enough for him. I think his intelligence, his poise, his puck moving ability, that's enough. Like, will the F1 get on him faster on the forecheck? Yes. Will he have to mitigate that? Other than using his feet, yes, he's just going to have to be far more deceptive in terms of what he does. And obviously his defense partner is going to have to recognize that and understand that and put himself in a position to be able to help him out in those situations. And I think he can work through that effectively from that standpoint. I think that's going to yeah, be something, totally that's something to look forward to. Let's talk about um, Adar Suniev. Uh, both of you and I um, had talked about him quite a bit going into – you know, our draft rankings, um, I had him in the second round. I think you had him in that range too. It's just hard to find a guy who has that size, that skating ability, and that ability to shoot. And obviously, they destroyed, the you know, the BC Hockey League with Penticton, and there's a lot of upside. For me, it's just like he's a guy who just needs a longer runway of development. Like You, you got to get him into college hockey for three years before you get him to the American Hockey League just to work out some kinks in his game, but he has some upside there. And I think that could be a third round pick that could look really good for Calgary in, in five years. Yeah. I, I know Craig was surprised to get him at 80th based off of the, his interview after the draft. And, and we were surprised too. Uh, yeah. At hockey prospect, we had him, I believe top 35, if not a bit higher than that. And then, yeah, I, I had him just right in that range as well. So the, the thing with Suneev is that he was on the dominant team, but uh, there's no off switch with him. When it was uh, when the game was out of reach, he was up six two. His team was up six two. He liked no to switch. he liked to stomp on necks. Yeah, he's uh, he extremely was, competitive. Yeah, very competitive player. Heavy heavy built player. Uh, he's a he's a human battering ram that plays a very finesse oriented style of offense, which is kind of what you want. So he's a player who plays hard, but he has a really soft touch. 
He's a very good playmaker. Um, the other aspect of his game, you know, what's interesting about Calgary's draft here, you look at uh, Moran and you look at uh, Suneev, they have the same flaw, which is the skating needs to come through. Um, Suneev, I think, when it comes to his mechanics, he's, he's a player who lacks posture at this time. Or you look at Sammy Hanzik relative to uh, Suneev. Hanzik has good posture. Uh, Hanzik has good three-point flexion. He understands how to keep his, his glues nine degrees parallel to the floor. He knows how to actually generate power using his posterior chain. You look at Suneev, he skates over the top of himself. Uh, and that's he's the reason bit, that he's, he, he's hunched over like, quite yeah. a bit in, in open ice, specifically open ice. That said, yeah. if you have a power forward who's not very good in open ice, that means they have to be very reliant on their touch and their playmaking ability and be able to create give and go sequences and transition, be able to find stretch playmaking options and transition. Well, that's Ader Sinev's bread and butter. So yeah. he'll be able to counteract some of the open ice deficiencies. You get him in the offensive zone in small areas, very fast hands. Excellent frame, knows how to protect the puck along the boards, knows how to magnetize the defense into him, which gives his teammates more options. So one of those very unique players. I, I'll be honest, I, I think it's a home run pick for, for Calgary. And I'll end on one note, um, which is I was surprised they drafted him, but I was really happy because uh, this was one of my goalies. I had no idea if he was going to go. They drafted Igor Yagorov in the sixth round. Right. Uh, youngest goalie in the draft. 6'3", 190 pound, super athletically gifted, really needs to work on some of his overlap positioning, can put himself inadvertently out of positions, but there's a lot of upside there. I love that goalie pick. I honestly didn't think he'd get drafted because he was the backup for Dynamo, which meant in the second half of the season, he was basically non-existent, didn't get to play, didn't get to develop. Um, but I think it's a great upside pick. I really, really liked uh, what Calgary did this season. Brad and I are going to take a short break. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about the Edmonton Oilers right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. 
Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio and our 2023 NHL Draft Review of the Pacific Division brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, they design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. We're continuing to chat about the Pacific Division. We're going to chat about the Edmonton Oilers. They did not give us much to talk about this year because they had three draft picks. Thankfully, they didn't trade the second round pick because of what, otherwise, I don't know if we'd have anything really to talk about other than the goalie. So let's talk about Bo Aki at 56, second round. So we had briefly chatted about him really going into the draft. I'd like to get your sort of like a much bigger overall view of him as a defenseman out of Barry. This is the thing that I we always have challenges with. You and I have talked about this. When you have a six foot defenseman who'll probably be two hundred pounds, right handed shot, and there seems to be a little bit more specialization going on in the NHL in terms of defensemen, the question is, what is he? Right? What is he going to be? What is he? What is what does he develop into? Is he a third pairing D? And then what does he do there if he is a third pairing D? That's a great question. Yeah, Bo, Bo Aiki is an interesting player who is for, for our staff all over the map. One game he would compete Not uh, to the point <laughs> he'd, he'd compete to the point where you were worried about his safety, and then another game where he just seemed flat, uh, and that continued right through the end of the season for us. Uh, in terms of like what he's gifted at, he's a, he's a good skater, and he's very good at absorbing the rush. Uh, at times, I, I do I do emphasize at times because there's other times where you watch him play and um, he loses his coverage and uh, he falls behind the play. Uh, especially that especially occurs not just uh, off the rush, but when already established in zone during cycle plays, during net front plays, he he can fail to tie up his man in time. He can so there there's some rawness within his defensive instincts. What's not raw is the shooting quality. Uh, one of the more gifted shooters on the back end in this class. That's the defining feature of him. It is the feature that gives him projectable power play to upside. Uh, one area I thought he improved as the season progressed was his ability to incorporate his mobility with offlooks so that he could actually find his lateral passing options. Because what happens is you get a bit of a, uh, an Adam Boquist quality where because they're so good at shooting from the point, they sometimes miss the more basic lateral option that actually yeah. lead to better – better output what's the better option yeah and, and so and there's forced, a bit of that and he forces shots yeah yeah he occasionally was four shots that said i mean if you're a gifted shooter it's okay to occasionally yeah. four shots especially when you're playing in the ohl so um the other aspect of him is just if he can draw it out and just be that more consistent physical presence when you combine it with his skating base you combine it with the shooting quality at least 
from that perspective, there's a very interesting base to mold. But again, for our staff, if if we if we all went in and watched them, you know, we watched three games of them one month and three games of them another month, and we'd go back and forth discussing how he looked, we, it was all over the map. So as we we found him very difficult to rank as a result of his inconsistencies, but there's definitely some upside there. Obviously, Edmonton uh, really likes him to have taken him in the second round. Let's talk about the goaltender. Nathaniel Day is a player that I didn't watch like on purpose at all uh, because he only played 32 games. Um, obviously, Flinton wasn't very good, so he got lit up like a Christmas tree, which is sometimes the team's fault, sometimes the goaltender's fault. Thoughts on him overall? Yeah, Nathaniel Day. So he reminds me a lot of another goalie was drafted in this class that I had on the outside looking in. That was Melker Feline, who was taken by Arizona in the sixth round uh, out of Sweden. Um, the reason they look similar to me is they're the same size, about six, one and a half. Uh, they both use a very compact stance that needs to be modified uh, because they're too compact, but it does allow them to be laterally explosive and they both skate extremely well. Their micro shuffles, their, their T push-offs, their lateral transfers and lateral transition rates when it comes to fully extending off a lateral push-off is phenomenal. That's where you see the projectable translation at the NHL level. Where it falls a little flat for me with Nathaniel Day uh, is that when he is dealing with high danger shots in tight, there is almost he's there there's there's too much ceiling within his foundation, meaning they'll be in his butterfly instead of exaggerating his posture so that he can get back in front of a puck, he'll stay sealed and then be too reliant on his push-offs or his skating base. He needs to open himself up at the right times to stay in front of the puck. Um, The other aspect that uh, I really actually really liked about Nathaniel Day um, is that I remember watching him get lit up against Windsor for nine goals. Of course, not all of those nine goals were on his were on him. And he made some spectacular highlight reel saves in that game. Even late when the game was far out of reach, he was still battling. But I remember penciling that game in and saying, go watch him when he plays Windsor again. And it happened on March 3rd. And that game was in February. He comes back a month later to play the same team. And he had one of his best performances of the season. It was almost, I'm shutting the door on you. Yeah, yeah. you, guys, it's, you a screw, it's, a, it's a screw you game. A hundred percent. And that's what you want to see. That's a hundred percent out of a goalie. You want to see the battle level. You want to see the competitor. That's how you find the competitor. Nathaniel Day was not backing down for one one moment in that game. And that really stood out to me. Um, that said, when you look at his, I guess, overall talent level is the way you'd put it. Meaning you look at the reef. He's, he's a very flexive goalie, but I don't think he's a very dexterous goalie. Uh, he doesn't. He's not able to contort his frame uh, in the way Adam Guyan, Damian Clara can. He's not nearly as big as Michael Gravel. He can't explode at the rate Trey Augustine can. Right. So he's for me. He's just under. But I understand why an NHL team would draft him. Much in the same way I understand why Arizona would draft Melko Feline. And who am I? I'm one, one guy who's gotten all sorts of skeletons in my closet. You know, I've, I've talked at length about how I thought Arter Silos was just under. Well, guess what? Arter Silos certainly looks like he's about to play in the NHL. So it's one of those situations where I've been wrong be- before. I could be wrong about this. Um, but these are two very interesting case studies for me in the game. Because if Melko Feline uh, plays or Nathaniel Day plays – then I have they, to change my, my yeah, approach the, as a scout to what, what I'm What if thinking. they play in the American League? Does it still force you to change? 
No, no. I, I look specifically for NHL. I expect Nathaniel Day to be a decent AHL goalie. I expect okay. Melker Feline to be a solid pro goalie. It's all about can they actually transition and be more than just a, a above replacement backup. Um, so that that's the way I looked at it. But yeah, Nathaniel Day um, really impressed me in, in in some of my viewings. It's just I feel like he's just under that that minimum threshold I look for. We're gonna take a short break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the LA Kings next. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back on Hockey Prospect Radio, our 2023 NHL Draft Review Pacific Division, brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting through an integrated series of best business practices. They design solutions for hockey operations and hockey business operations. Next up is the LA Kings. They didn't have a first-round pick. They traded it away. So we got a second-round pick at 54th overall in massive defenseman Jakob Dvorak. I think based on some of the public commentary, I think they're a little bit too harsh on his skating. I think his skating is fine, uh, particularly for his size. And sometimes when you have those really lanky defensemen that you see their stride and so long that you don't think they're actually moving their feet because they take one stride to some other players too. And they think, oh, he's not moving fast. He only takes needs to take one stride compared to the other two. So I think his skating is fine. Uh, It's not great, but it's fine. Um, Thoughts on him in terms of his projection moving forward. 
I think he could be a five, six in that range. And I think if you get somebody like that at 54 and plays games for you, you're good with that. Especially if a guy can kill some penalties for you, for you as well. So thoughts on that pick and Dvorak. Yeah. Six, five defenseman with a ton of range played an extra league up in Chechi the entire season yeah. uh, before his injury, uh, before he made his return back to the U18s. Um, I think he certainly projects to be a shutdown defenseman, but when you when you do project a shutdown defenseman, you definitely want them to be large and long, and that's exactly what he projects to, to be. The, the real question mark with, with Dvorak for me is, does he hit that minimum level of offense that you at least need so he can stay up? I think he can. Uh, yeah. And the reason I say that is because when you see him play an extra league, there were flashes. They were inconsistent, but there were flashes where you were very surprised at a play he could make. Like you're talking about a player who can make a hesitation fake, then laterally cuts back, then waits for his lane to open up, times a perfect uh, pass or shot and gets it through. And you're like, huh, okay, I haven't seen too much of this, but it's there. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I think uh, just for our listeners that, that uh, they should know about is that usually when a, a prospect is in their first year of eligibility and they're playing in a professional men's league in Europe, there's almost always hidden untapped offense in there. Right. When you look at Lenny Haminaho, who we'll talk yeah. about with the Devils, when you, when you look back at you – know, he was a really good example of this. I keep bringing him up. It's like I'm in awe of his development. Uh, Stanislaus Fosel. Like right. Fosel in his draft season was not projected to be an offensive defenseman by most people. And then you talk to Rick Nash, and Rick Nash was saying – we think he's an offensive defenseman. Well, Rick Nash tells me he thinks he's an offensive defenseman. I think give Rick Nash benefit of the doubt. Well, he turns out he most certainly had way more offense than. And, than and that's the same thing that we had talked about. We talked about Simishev, and everybody said, "Oh, we don't yes, see yeah. offense." And I'm like, yeah. "Well, he's also a kid playing in the KHL, and he's deferring to his veteran teammates. They're all, they always defer." But you, what you get, what you talked about, Dvorak, is you see those flashes. And the more consistent you see that, the more you have the understanding that there's going to be more there if that gets tapped. Yeah, and, and it just it, – it, we're not – I'm not suggesting he'll be an offensive defenseman like Swoboda. By any okay, means. That's not what I'm suggesting. Good, that, that's not going to happen. Make okay, a that's good first very, pass. very unlikely. Make a if good first pass. Yeah. A very, if he can be clean on his – if he can basically turn his breakouts and his playmaking consistency into something similar to Theo Lindstein in five years, then you got a heck of a player. Yeah. And I'm sure that's what LA is banking on. Just if he can, if he can use the flashes – so that he become a consistent puck mover and then be that insula- insulating large defensive presence who has range and do it at a consistent rate, then you really have some. The, the only other aspect I'll say about Dvorak where there are a bit of question marks is that when you look at how he uses his frame, he's very much in his infancy. He's very raw. He doesn't know how to leverage his advantages yet. So yeah. it's one of those situations where long term you want you want him to play a heavier game. You want him to be more consistently physical. You want the multi-dimensional aspect of his defense to come out because of the projection of a shutdown role. I wonder how much of that is going to change when he's in North America playing on smaller ice that allows him to do that because there's just less space wide where he has the range to close off and go, I have room to hammer somebody. I'm going to do it. Right. Like there's always I find there's a hesitation with European defensemen to make those kind of hits because there's that extra room and they just don't want it's almost, they don't want to be burned where in North and they get into North America and they realize, oh, I got some 
there's no space here. Oh, I can actually lean into guys. Oh, I can engage to guys. You know, they start to figure that out. I think that's what's going to make a difference in terms of him, like, wanting to hit or wanting to close guys off or wanting to pin guys hard is that he never has to worry about them getting by because there's just less room. Like, when you have that range, he's like a condor, right? And he, he gets into that 220 range, 225 range as as a player, and he's 6'5". How are you going to get around him, right? So that's where I think LA – I think LA is thinking in that direction. We'll have a chat with him this summer about that specifically. Let's talk about Cohen Zemer, uh, third-round pick, 78th overall. Like, big strapping kid. Um, kind of strange in the way – because he's not very tall, but he's really, really thick. And he's kind of got a little bit of that hunched-over – stride um which is concerning you know for me from that standpoint um obviously in the western hockey league he put up dominant numbers 89 points in like 68 games you know 41 goals so clearly there's that um his off his playoff numbers were also good seven points in 10 games but you know thoughts on him and some of the reasons why he dropped because i think a lot of like the public they look got mesmerized by his numbers and really didn't recognize how that was going to translate. How much of that offense would translate to the NHL? Well, let's just let's just get it, get it over with right now and say say why he dropped. And that's his, he's the worst skater in this class out of any of the top end players. It's, yeah. it's just that simple. It's just yeah. he makes Matthew Wood look like uh, Elvis Stoiko. <laughs> you know, it's just um, it's one of those situations where he. He's a brilliant hockey player in so many ways. I, I love this player, um, but I have to be very realistic here. Um, I was very aggressive in my ranking of him. I would. I really wish I knew where LA really had him uh, uh, placed. But sometimes you you have to throw out most of your scouting instincts in terms of how you assess the technical component of a skill set. So right. when I break down his skating. I really don't know if he can make it, but then there's a part of my gut instinct and the way that he presents himself and just how dominant he is. as just a full blooded hockey player made me bet on the kid. Yeah. I split it. I split it down the middle and he ended up being 58th because I said there was too much there. And the only thing that was lacking was skating. I'm like, can you just get him to average just to average NHL? I think that's all he would need to make it. I think that's all he would need, but I don't yeah. know. I don't know if a team can get him there. Now, LA has, you know, obviously an excellent track record of development, uh, particularly from 06 to 15 and a little bit beyond that. So I don't know. I don't know if they can do that. But if you're going to bet on a team and bet on a player, you know, you know, the teams that are, you know, the top five, top eight best teams in terms of development they just have a better chance to get the most out of that out of that player in terms of his skating. I don't know. Do you agree? Do you think if he just gets average, that's enough? Well, so th- this is the, the the problem with trying to determine. So if you look at some really ugly skaters in their draft season that seem to be ha- really made steps. So one for me was Dmitry Voronkov. Um, Columbus as a team is not shy to take players that don't skate very well. That didn't happen this past draft. It was actually the opposite. They took a ton of high-flying skaters. Um, but in previous drafts, they really don't mind trying to mold larger players who have skating division. So you, you look at um, uh, Kirill Dzenkov, 
uh, you, the dozers call them. The, you look at Dmitry Voronkov, those are huge players that were ugly skaters. Uh, you look at Elmer Soderblom in his initial draft season, Tage Thompson. The, the difference with them is they were extremely tall. And the rule of thumb is usually a, a much taller player. You must give them another basically full year of development before you really can get a, an understanding of where their stride is going to be because they're not nearly as coordinated. Yeah. The only two exceptionally coordinated athletes were Tay Thompson and Elmer Soderblom. The, yeah. the others, it took time. They look janky. So with Cone Zemer, that's why he dropped. It's this, the fact he's not six five, six feet. Yeah. So theoretically, the coordination should already be there. And if it is there, that's what makes it much more difficult in terms of projection transition. 100%. Uh, Brad and I are going to take a short break, but stay tuned for hour two. We'll talk about San Jose, Seattle, Vancouver, and Vegas right after these short messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hour 2 of our 2023 NHL Draft Review for the Pacific Division and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're not going to chat about the San Jose Sharks draft. Uh, fascinating draft. Number four, Will Smith, 
not a terrible surprise. I think pretty much the entire world, if you weren't under a rock, pretty much, you know, were convinced that they were going to take Will Smith at number four. So chat about him in terms, you know, I think they desperately needed a, a playmaking center. If you look at their farm system, they didn't have one. They don't have one. So I think he just fit a need desperately and it gives them some balance because they took Philip Bystead last year. So for me, they needed to have him. I think it was just a perfect fit for that franchise at a perfect time. Yeah, San Jose needed a dynamic talent. It's just yeah. that simple. They need something totally elite in terms of offensive creation and offensive ability. And that's, that's what Will Smith brings to the forefront. Um, for my money, um, it's one of those situations where I really do think he's probably the most dangerous selection out of the top 10. Uh, and that's because I, I've spoken to this many times on the show and this program. And that's the fact that I am very wary of his off puck game. Uh, I don't think he's the most competitive player. Um, that said, I cannot deny his vision. I cannot des- deny his dynamic playmaking ability. And I cannot deny that he's probably the fourth most talented player in the draft and he went at fourth so it, it's it's one of those situations where i totally understand san jose's thinking and i i hope it really pans out for them if if will smith can develop a dominant 200 foot game in the coming years if he really buys in and he can display more off puck ability and better habits long term then he's going to be an exceptional center and i'm going to be eating crow pie Right, that's the way it's going to be. I'm mean, baking pies everywhere. I mean, I wonder so, if he, I wonder if he's just like, even if he's just average defensively, does his offense make up for that? Just average, of course, it, it will yeah. to a degree. Like his, yeah. he is all offense, and yes, you, there will always be a give and take. You can deal with a, a defensive liability as long as they give you a, a significant offensive contribution. It's just when you're when you're talking about a top five player, that's a franchise player. We well, are hoping that's for supposed, you're hoping that's, for that. That's what you're supposed yeah. to be drafting. Right, you 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 are supposed to be drafting a game-changing player that defines your franchise. That's the way I look at a top-five pick. Uh, he's the one who's furthest away into developing that, but he's an exceptional, exceptional talent. Let's uh, talk about Quentin Musty, and I I find him intriguing, and it's really like how much better does the skating have to be for him to be a really a highly effective forward in the NHL. Because he brings the other elements. It's just the skating worries me. And I just look at him as if his skating becomes average at the NHL level, how how much of a quality forward will he be in the top six? What can he bring in the top six if he just gets to average? I think it's one of the reasons why he dropped is there was a lot of concerns about his skating and how much better it's going to be. Yeah, his, his kickback accentures and his stride are very, very awkward. There's a he has an unorthodox stride in general. Yeah. Um, that said, he's six two and just developing into his body. So obviously, you got to give him that. And then yep. the, the other factor with Musty that makes him unique is uh, well, he's my favorite player type. He's a power playmaker. Yeah. So with the, with his playmaking upside, it goes back to what we talked about with Adar Sinev, where it will it will offset some of the skating limitations where. You project Musty to have real issues in in the coming years. Is is his transitional offensive upside with the shooting ability off the rush? Uh, he, was, he was all over the map this season. Part of that is because of what we just discussed with his skating base, but he also has a lot of time 
a uh, lot of trouble setting up his timing within his shooting windows when he's trying to operate around a triangle of the fence. So that's, the, you know, he has the capability to develop into a, a dual threat, but right now he's a primary playmaker. So there, there's two real components that need to improve. That's the, the shooting ability off the rush and then just the skating foundation. I shouldn't say two, there's three. I'm sure some scouts who listen to this yelling at me right now, hang on, bro. I, I remember. The other is uh, the consistency within his compete in general. And that means the motor, the pace off the puck, the willingness to actually defend and commit. There's definitely some floating, some cherry picking, a bit of immaturity. I thought it was better in the second half. Yes, you know, I, I agree yeah. too. Yeah, it, it got better, but it's still not at the level that you want it to be. I think that's one of the fundamental reasons he did drop a little bit. But when you look at the way Mark Edwards described this player, and I agree with this 100%, is when, when he's on, what he flashed was top 10 in this class. And I'm sure that that's what the Sharks are banking on, is if they can get those flashes to become more consistent, they get the skating base improved, they get the compete to come out another gear, then you're talking about one of those home run picks down the road. Everybody goes, how did that kid drop? Because there's a ton of talent in him, and he's a very unique power forward. Well, I mean, it, it's fair and easy to say why, even if he hits, why he dropped. I mean, it's, it, there's clear, distinctive things that say this is why. Um, and I think skating is the biggest one. A part of it, like it's almost kind of a cascading effect when your skating base isn't good. It affects your off puck. It affects some other aspects of, of your game where it tends to like almost compound itself. Like you just like these areas of the game. Oh, I don't like, but if his skating was this, would that necessarily, would that help mitigate some of that? And I think that's part of it as, as well. Um so let's transition into another player that they had drafted in the early second round in Casper Haltonen, who I thought, based on all the players that I interviewed at the Combine, was by far the funniest. Engaging young man, uh, super funny, a great sense of humor, a lot of self-awareness, understood who he was as a player. There was no illusions. He goes, I go up and down the wing, I bang bodies. I go after the puck in the corners. I go to the net hard. I wear down defensemen. I like smashing into them. It's a lot of fun. And then he started to laugh. So I like players who actually understand who they are as a player. Doesn't mean you can't evolve and doesn't mean you can't improve, but he recognizes what he does best and he actually enjoys it, right? Which I think really helps you in terms of, this is what I do. Some players, there's always that adaptive process. They get out of junior or out of college and they have to adapt their game and they don't really want to do it, but they do it based on necessity. And he's like, nope, this is who I am. And I know I'll be perfectly fine once I hit pro hockey at the North American level. So to me, I think he's a guy that could be potentially a third line player that goes up and down the wing, north, south, bangs, crashes, gets greasy goals. And is a guy that coaches like, right? He's like, you know what you're going to get out of him. There's no illusions. Yeah. So th this player is a pretty interesting player because he is very different than uh, Quinn Musty. Right. So Musty, you have the primary playmaking ability. And it's, it's all about trying to untap how he can use that to his advantage in transition more east-west, um, using manipulation. With Casper Holton, uh, he's one of the best shooters in the class. Gifted, unbelievably gifted shooter. So there's tremendous shot quality, and he immediately projects to threaten as a power play one option within the circle's trigger man. So 
very useful qualities there. What is frustrating about Casper Holtonen is that unlike Musty, again, with playmaking ability and upside, is Casper Holtonen's playmaking ability is not good at all. <laughs> right now, it's not where... <laughs> and that's why I said it. up and down the wing, man. Yeah. So he, yeah. yeah, he has to learn how to use his frame so that he can, when he can't see his teammates in transition when he needs to, what, basically what I'm saying is he needs his frame so that he can offset the fact that he doesn't always see his options at the spade, at the time he needs to. So yeah. it will give an opportunity with his handling, his frame, and his ability to, to hold the puck longer. It will give him more opportunities to make sure that he dials down the error rates within his passing. That said, when you have his, uh, a power forward who's this gifted a shooter, what you really want is to him to understand how to become that complement in the line, how to find that soft ice at the rate needed, and how to use – his his uh, his frame effectively off the forecheck. Um, one one aspect that's also lacking, similar to Musty and this player, is the skating ability. Uh, Holton is not a gifted skater by any stretch. He's come miles since when he was first in Yokerit system back in U20 Saria, but it's still not at a at a high level. He needs to skate better. He needs to understand how to play in the system better, and he needs to understand how to leverage his shooting ability at a at a rate that allows him to get away with some of his passing error, uh, playmaking error rates. And just just learn how to grow into that frame. But it's very interesting what you see with San Jose here in, in terms of what they're trying to develop with some of these power forwards that they have in their system. So it's it's I, I really like the fact that they mixed up their options. They didn't they didn't just simply get like one player like Will Smith's primary passer. Right. Uh, Musty's that primary passer. What did they get after that? They immediately went and tried to acquire uh, power play one trigger man and and one of the top ten shooters. You can maybe even make an argument top five shooters in this class. Well, one of the things, you know, he just has to recognize is the give and go and short passing options. He like he's not a guy that should pass from his wing any farther than the middle of the ice. Like that's actually almost too far for him, in my respect. If he's a guy who can utilize the give and go more effectively, that's going to make it so much easier for him. And if he can just get a little more pop in that stride, just to force to push the D-man back a little bit, just to give him a little bit more space. You know, in that give and go, it's going to give him an opportunity off the rush to like, you know, throw that howitzer out there once in a while just to like slam it at the goalie and force some rebounds in that respect. I And he's also a character player. So guys like that who have a high level of work ethic, he's a hard worker. He wants to get better. Right. So he's going to dig in. He's going to buy in. So I think that uh, something that uh, I think San Jose recognizes like, OK, yeah. He's got some deficiencies in this air in these areas, but he's he's a hard worker. I think he's a player that sometimes some of those guys find a way because they just get better and better. And like even if it's NHL average for guys like that, it's good enough. Uh, Brad, I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about the Seattle Kraken right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back on our 2023 NHL Draft Review Pacific Division, uh, powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. Let's chat about the Seattle Kraken Draft. Edward Saleh at 20 overall. You know, he is uh, sometimes a little girl with the curl. When he's good, he's very, very good. And then when he's not, you're like, okay, kid, like, get your get your game together. But once again, we always have to recognize 17, 8-year-old kids, they should be consistently inconsistent. So we, we honestly shouldn't be surprised by that in terms of Edward Saleh. If this kid hits... Uh, it's going to be a big hit because he's got all the skill you could possibly want out of a player, um, has all the tools in the toolkit. So I'm really curious to see how much time Seattle gives him. I think he needs just more of a runway of development to work out some things. And if he's given that, I think they could hit, they could hit a dinger here. He's one of those guys where you did, you weren't quite sure going into the draft, but if he hit, he was going to be a home run. He is one of the strangest players in this class. And in yeah. the last, I'd argue, five, six years, he's such a strange player. Uh, so very talented, as, as you discussed. Uh, he's a dual threat. He has an excellent catch and release. When he gets to the soft ice, that's when you really see just his upside in terms of being able to catch and release the puck so quickly. Um, he's also a pretty good option with his one-timer on a power play. When you project him, it's not a Casper Holton levels or anything, but it's, it's impressive. Um, his best quality is his playmaking ability. He's very finesse forward. It's just, uh, he uses a lot of bottom hand activation. He curl pucks past leading, uh, uh, past sticks. He's a very good leading playmaker at times. He sees the ice very well. Um, but in terms of what he is, so as of right now, he's extremely dangerous on the power play. 
He is very good at off-looking his lateral options. He also is very good when he's below the net area at finding low to high danger passes in transition and timing those passes. That is the foundation of this player. What he doesn't have is every other element you look for. What I mean by that is when you look at a, at a player who is finesse forward, which he is, uh, not overly reliant on his frame at this time, though he has shown flashes of it, what you look for is how does he deceive? And his deception is simply off looking. That's not good enough. That's not going to cut it. You're, what, what we were hoping as a staff to see in extra league was some development in that area. And if it wasn't going to happen naturally, at least show it in junior level internationally. From the start of the season, the end of the season, he was still simply an off-look option. He did not use exaggerated partial fakes. He did not use reverse hits so he could control the follow of those plays to create some time and space for himself. He did not understand how to generate fake contact points. He does not understand how to trap Deke. He does not understand how to manipulate an opposing defense in space, go across their grain, go from outside to inside, and create advantages so that he can maintain inside position on opposing teams. That's the foundation of deception. Again, he has one. He has one aspect of that foundation. If he only has one aspect of that foundation, that means he has to be over reliant on the other aspect, which is his frame. Right now, he is not fully functionally coordinated, and he is not a great athlete. So what that and he's not very. He's not the, the biggest player. I mean, his, his height's fine, but he's when you look at his frame, you know, you're not looking at a Casper Holton in no. type of frame. What that means is that he's going to have to learn how to protect the puck. And he's going to have to get much better understanding how to use his handling time in, in transition in order to generate some of his passing uh, uh, plays. I so find him too predictable. Th there is an aspect, yes. In, in extra league, one of the biggest issues with him, and I'm glad you brought up predictability, it goes back to the other aspect of deception, which we did not discuss, which was speed differentials. Yeah. So this is a very fast player from A to B who mechanically is actually not great which is on one hand exciting because I'm sure for Seattle's perspective, once he gets some of his mechanics refined and grows into his body, imagine how much faster he's going to get if he's already pretty fast. So yeah. there's that aspect, but it's not how fast you are as a player that matters. It's what you do with it. And what that means is you need to be able to mix up your speeds. you got to downshift and then shift up a gear. you got to create speed differentials to offset the defense so that it extends your options. He does not know how to do these things. He doesn't know how to do it at extra league. He did not show how to do it in junior. And he did. And, and there was no, the, the curve remained flat. And that's where the danger comes into play. Because the other aspect that's extremely worrisome with this player is that he is not a very competitive player. There is a almost monotonous one gear note to him. He is not a high octane player. He is not, he does not seem to be a very inside driven player by nature. If he is shoved to the outside in a physical game, he will remain there. There is a perimeter aspect to him when you look long-term. That said, with all of that being said, he is his infancy when it comes to his physical development and he's very talented. And so that's what I'm sure Seattle was ben, uh, banking on was the talent. Uh, certainly. You know who he reminds me of? Alex Nylander, who who Buffalo took. That's who he reminds me of. And yeah, there is some Nylander. Yeah, you're right. There is yeah. some Alex Nylander. He, he very talented me. player, enigmatic, very inconsistent, not competitive enough, drove it crazy. But again, very talented. And if, if he developed correctly, then he got a top six forward. Yep, 100%. Let's talk about Oscar Fisker Molgard, who Seattle took in the second round, 52nd overall. Thoughts on him as overall player? Because I know we had talked about him coming into the draft and 
like we're kind of like mulling about where he was going to go probably late in the second round. And that's really where he went. Yeah. I love this pick. Uh, it's, it's one of those situations where we just talked about how the curve remained totally flat with Shala. And you could actually even argue went backwards in some ways from his minus one with Oscar Fisker Molgard. You're talking about a kid who went from J18 in Sweden to play in the SHL full time in one calendar year. That, that is crazy. super, super rare. What that means is that this kid is remarkably mature for his age, plays with a tremendous amount of structure, he's responsible, and he thinks the game at a very high level. And that's exactly what you see on the ice. The There is more upside within his passing than his uh, shooting ability. He is not a gifted goal scorer, and he does not project to be one. However, he, is, he has gifted edge work. He's a good skater, a uh, very intelligent player. What he's very good at doing right now is he drives to the interior areas of the rink, to high slot, slot above the net, and he makes sure to magnetize, draw on that defense, and that gives – that that really time extends, and space. Yeah. extends time and space for his team. So he's very good at making his teammates better, and he's very good at allowing his defense to relax because of how good he is supporting. So I really I really like this player. I think this player could be a bona fide third line center. That's a heck of a player uh, to get at the end of the second round. Uh, one of the more unique development paths. It's awesome to see another Danish kid uh, get some opportunity here in recognition. Uh, I, you know, I was Denmark for me. It's a perplexing as a country i feel like there should be more output uh in terms of hockey talent there and it's just great to see oscar fisker mulgard uh become that next wave and hopefully it, it really uh propels that nation get get a couple more kids uh developed well let's talk about lucas dragasevich a 57th overall second round pick you know converted forward which is a challenge um particularly if you're not the most fleet of foot which he is not um He's not necessarily the natural athlete that you see other converted forwards into defense. You don't see that in his game, but obviously hockey sense, offensive ability, all of that is there. But the problem is you still got to defend and his skating has to be above average. And I'm not entirely sure if it gets there. I don't know. I think you pretty much, we've had similar conversations about Dragosevich in the past and you know, it's that is the concern. Like you're almost like to the point where do you want to convert back to a forward? Because that might be better off for you. You might be better off just going back to playing like wing again and then see what happens with that. Because um, the offense is like impressive. But the 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 issue in skating is, is that's the problem. And I guess we'll see what happens because I just don't know. I don't know. So in terms of – he's a case study for the game, essentially. I converted forward uh, – I believe it was four years ago. He converted defense – or three years ago, three or four years ago. So the last really successful player to do this was K. Andre Miller. The difference between K. Andre Miller and Lucas Dragosevich is that K. Andre Miller has the recovery rates needed to be able to project him in the top four at the NHL level. Lucas Dragosevich doesn't. That's – the reason he fell in this class relative to his talent. There is a tremendous amount of risk with this pick. Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad pick. Seattle had a lot of picks in this class. Uh, so the last player could take some about Oscar Fisker Molgard. Yeah. yeah, they could take some swings. Oscar Fisker Molgard, to me, is very high floor. 
The ceiling nice. shaved off relative to some of these other kids they took, but he's a very high floor player. So they go and take a home run swing on Dragicevic because if he can improve his skating and he can improve his defensive reads, and that's the big one, because the rate of recovery is never going to match a player like Keandre Miller. Okay, it's not going to he's not athletically gifted enough. He doesn't have the range. He's not as tall. It's, it's not going to happen. What you hope is that he can learn to enhance his defensive instincts over time enough so that he can just just be even below average defensively, because then there's enough offense there to justify it. So uh, he will need, we always talk about insulation on the show and, and, you know, even you look at Dmitry Simashev at worst, I think he's a top four elite defensive insulator, right? Well, guess who Dmitry Simashev theoretically be insulating? A player Dragicevich, like Lucas yeah. Dragicevich, right? And that's, that's exactly the case. So uh, very interesting. Seattle had a very interesting draft. I'm, their, their draft to me is one that I'm very interested in monitoring over the next four to five years. And I'll be the first one thing about me, like I'm very opinionated as some of you know, but uh, I have no problem talking about when I miss. And if Edward Shala hits, right, Lucas Dragasevich really turns the corner. I'll be the first to say I was really 100%. impressed about Seattle. Well, we'll take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Vancouver Canucks prospects right after this. Every play. Every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio and our 2023 NHL Draft Review for the Pacific 
Division, an outside edge hockey player development for on and off ice training featuring KPI based conditioning programs at outsideedge.ca. Let's talk about the Canucks draft. Tom Willander at number 11. There are some people who are okay with having them there. There are other people who are not okay with having him there. And his standout feature is the guy can skate and skate. So whatever you need to do in terms of a defenseman, if you can skate and think reasonably well, you should be okay. Now, the question is for me is I'm not worried about the skating. I'm not worried about necessarily the thinking it's really defensively. I'm more interested is what's the offensive upside. Like what's there? Is he a pl- one of those defensemen that we sometimes seem that come out of the KHL that he just didn't get the opportunities? Like it's untapped, um, and there's going to be more there. That's something I don't quite know, and so I get it why people had said, "Oh, I don't want him at that pick because I just don't see any upside. I think he's just going to be a fast skating defensive defenseman." Thoughts on him as a pick uh, where Vancouver took him? Well, I'll, I'll just say this uh, right off the bat. It's like scouting would be so boring if people all thought the same thing. You know? 100%. Yeah, yeah. When Otherwise, after just... this pick, my phone blew up from a couple of Swedish scouts. One of them said, what are they doing? Another scout said, I could see that working. Another scout was like, great pick. <laughs> it's just all over the, it's all over the map. And that's right. That's the beauty of the, of the draft. You know, our, our colleague that we have on here, Jason Bacala thought that uh, Arizona's first two picks were way too high. I thought they were the exact picks in the right spot. Same thing. Right? And that's the yeah, beautiful 100%. Yeah. part of scouting. That's, that's, that's what we do this for. It's fun to get to debate it uh, long-term, you know? So um, with, with Vancouver's pick and Tom Lander, let's let's go with what you just discussed, the undeniable quality he has. He's a very, very gifted skater. Why was he taken above Axel Sandin-Pelka? I have seen that question asked. That question has been asked to me privately by multiple people. I'll answer it here. He projects to be able to absorb a rush better than Pelica. He's more right. tenacious than Pelica. He's larger than Pelica. He has more of a multifaceted defensive game than Pelica. That's why he was drafted ahead of Pelica. Um, that said... When you look at the puck moving ability and you look at the offensive potential, I do think it is a bit below Pelicans. So that's a bit of a contrast. Now, when you look at Tom Melander's curve, there's a couple of things to know. One is that he was overhandling the puck on his exits in the beginning portion, uh, about the halfway mark of the season with yep. Rogla. By the end of the season, you were, I, I noticed improvements there. Um, a couple other notes. This is a much better player internationally in terms of his consistency rates and in terms of what he needs to look like to be a functional 200-foot player relative to his league play. I found he was way more consistent as a player in Rogla. Now, as part of that, him just taking his foot off the gas, relaxing, which does happen in J20. J20 is a very tricky league in terms of trying to get a read on some of these kids because you think that they lack structure or they lack a competitive note, and then you see them get called up to the SHL, and they're like totally different players. Like if I showed you what Simon Evanson looked like in SHL and for London in his draft year, and then I showed you what he looked like for London J20, you're talking about a totally different player. All of like you go right down the list. That's just like the way that uh, um, uh, William Willander out of Detroit operated in yeah. J20, he would just skate the puck end to end and experiment. 
the whole time. Could, that's what he was doing. Because that's a league that allows it. you to do that, that's right? That's exactly it. And I, and I bring that up because that's exactly what Tom Lander would do occasionally. He'd just start skating because he can. And, uh, and so you really were having difficulty trying to figure out what he would look like. But internationally, if that's the right player – then, then you really have something. Vancouver's got something. And, and this is, this is make no mistake, this is a draft for a positional need. And it comes back to a philosophical debate about, well, should you draft for positional need when the weakest position out of anything in this class is defenseman? And right? it was, Why yeah, do it now? And it was, right? That's like, part of the debate. Their prospect pool was is, in terms of defense, is relatively abysmal for the most part. And the fact he's going to Boston University. So I think he'll actually be more effective on a smaller ice because of his skating ability. And he's going to get opportunity to play in all situations at BU. And it's going to allow him to play there for two more years. And one of the things he really talked about is I actually get to hit the weight room. I actually get to get stronger and faster and specifically build up my body for what I need to do at the NHL level. Like he was very conscious of what, why he chose going to Boston university. And he goes, I want to be able to play in this position where I'm like on first unit penalty kill. I want to be on first unit power play and work my way up to that. I want to be in the last two minutes of the game. I want to be in all the tough defensive situations. So when he said, I'm not sure, I don't know if I that could have happened for me if I stayed in Sweden, which is one of the reasons why he went over to BU. So, you know, I give him credit for recognizing that in his game. Yeah, it, it, I, I think you have to. I, I think it's it's a good development course for him. It's a pretty unique one. You, you know, yeah. Rogla is a pretty good program. Good, and yeah. They, they, Moritz Sider developed in Rogla's system recently. He's okay. Uh, so it's one of those situations where I'm a little surprised he went the college route. That's a little unexpected. Uh, I will bring up one point about that. I haven't verified this, so I don't know if I should say it, but I'll say it anyways, which is once we just got, uh, uh, told me that uh, he had changed teams five times the last four years, which right. is interesting. Food for thought. Kind of interesting that he has changed teams as often as he has. Uh, doesn't mind mixing up his systems. Um, the other aspect we'll get Maybe to. Maybe he's just trying to learn. Is, Maybe it's part of a learning process for him. The the other thing about him is offensive ceiling. So what is offensive ceiling? He is very good at timing his lateral cutbacks from the right side of the point and timing getting the shot through traffic. When you look at his goal rates, that's where the most of his goals come from. Uh, When you look at his lateral agility and his handling ability, it paints a picture that's not so dissimilar to Tanner Mullendike. And they're very similar in this regard. They can break down that first layer. Dimitri Simashev also falls in this category. Yeah. They break down the first layer with their lateral agility and their handling ability, but then they have some trouble figuring out how to apply their game, their offensive skill set to get the finish, the finish goal, right? That's where you've seen fleeting moments of it with him and Rogla. You saw it more consistently in the, in, internationally and towards the U18s. So which version is the real one, right? Is it – is he going to be able to actually set up dynamic high danger or lateral passes through layers after he pinches correctly or breaks through the first layer at the consistency necessary to project him as a top four defenseman? That's the foundational question of this player. I, I shied away from it a little bit by thinking he's more of a five. I think he's a five on a good team. And if things go right, a power play two option. Um, I'm sure Vancouver's banking on the fact he can get there because they took him as high as they did. Yeah, they're banking on that he's going to be a three. And it, I think he's going to be allowed to have that experimentation in college hockey for two years before he turns pro. I don't expect him to be a three-year player. I expect two years and he'll be out and then off to the American Hockey League. So, 
But Brad and I are going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights to finish up the show in the eighth segment, and we'll be back right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back for the last segment of our 2023 NHL Draft Review for the Pacific Division, powered by Outside Edge Hockey Player Development for on and off ice training featuring KPI based conditioning programs at outsideedge.ca. We're going to talk about the Stanley Cup winning Vegas Golden Knights and their draft uh, at 32nd overall. The last pick in the first round was David Edstrom. And it's interesting. So if you look at his SHL games, I thought he was very, very good. And then at the U18s, he was very, very good. Um, and then we go to his J20 games and it's really, it's inconsistent. But then, you know, that's the discussions we have is sometimes in J20, guys get a little loosey-goosey in their game. A lot of, air, um, you know, experimentation, a lot of like kind of like doing whatever you want to do. And I think this is a player that I think thrives in structure. If you play a really structured system, I think he's far more effective. If you play more of a loose style, I think this is where this player, you know, the warts, some warts start to show. But you get him in a structured system. I understand why Vegas took him at this spot. Um, once again, like how it's 
it's big boy hockey in the playoffs. You know, we look at it at the NHL level and, you know, that's what they wanted. They wanted another big guy, 6'2", and he's going to be well over 200 pounds, right? So, and play in the middle of the ice. So I get it why they took him there. And I was not far off from where they took him on my list. So that's kind of like, from my standpoint, I get it. I get it. Yeah, we liked him as a staff. Uh, one thing that's that's really important about his game is you mentioned it briefly there is that he's really built for the playoffs. Very high energy player, hits like a truck. The kid's really strong for his age. I saw yeah. smaller players ping pong uh, off of him at the J20 level. I, I saw him from a stationary positions getting run 20 feet, 20 feet away from him. They were running him and he, they couldn't do anything to him. This kid this kid's built the right way. He's a beast. So in terms of physical makeup, in terms of the power forward element and, and just having that sandpaper to him, that grit and determination and high energy game, that's all there. Uh, unlike, let's uh, do a bit of a comp with some of these Swedish players. So Felix Nilsson, for instance, um, more intelligent player, uh, better passer, more deceptive than Edstrom, uh, but nowhere near as inside driven and doesn't understand how to use his frame like Edstrom. So there's a bit of back and forth. One one interesting point about this player is that uh, privately I've had discussions with NHL scouts, our staff, other other uh, people that I know about him, and it's all over the map in terms of how they value his skating. Uh, some people think his skating's good. Other people think it's average. Other people say it's below average but fine, and you can get it up another notch. And some people think it's downright a stopper. I know, I know a couple of people who think it could stop him from playing full-time. Uh, I'm not well, in that camp. Uh, I admit I think the stride is short, uh, especially when you factor in the fact he's 6'2", 6'3". It's not a long stride relative to his height, but I think it's I think he has enough power in him. The A to B will make up for some of the mechanical issues. It's basically what I'm saying. Right. So um, the, the, the other aspect of his game is I think in the first half of the season when you look at his J20 performances – you looked at more of a functional fourth line center. That's what you were looking at. As the season progressed, as you mentioned, he was exceptional in the SHL. That's where he really stood out to me was his SHL uh, uh, games in Forlanda. And then he carried that over with him to the U18. So it didn't look like it was some sort of one-off, you know, seven-game right. sample where his play died. So uh, the, the big question mark for me, and I really think it will determine his ceiling, is the fact that he's a playmaker. He already has the ability to one-touch process the puck. He can stretch length of the ice. He can make some crisp and very accurate passes with little time and space, but he doesn't incorporate first-phase deception very often. He's not a very cerebral initiator of play, meaning like with Felix Nielsen, he'll he'll use tempo control and off-look options, new static and postural fakes to make sure that he manipulates the lane. That's not how David Estrom operates. David Estrom will run over you, right? There's that, that physical nature in him. He's, he's, a, yeah, he's a linebacker. Within, he's respect. a linebacker, and he operates within his playmaking like a linebacker. That works now. That's not going to be nearly as successful at the NHL level. Other aspects will be, but that aspect won't be. I think that that will be the determining factor if he's a fourth or third liner, and that's going to make all the difference in the world if this is a successful pick or not. One of the things when I was watching him play, and you were talking about his skating – and is in a shorter stride. And I thought, like, does he have short legs? Question mark. Like long, lean body and like a shorter inseam, which could explain why he may have a bit of a shorter stride. He could be a tall guy. You don't necessarily have tall, like long legs. Sometimes you just got a really long body um, from that respect, which makes you really hard to knock over because, you, you know, legs are short. So 
maybe that's it, but I'd have to like, I'd have to ask him, Hey, by the way, kid, you got short legs. I'm sure you appreciate that question. So <laughs> that was your job at the combine. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, the combine sport. <laughs> that's great. Hey, thanks buddy. Beat it. Um, actually I want to ask you about R2, um, Karki actually, cause we had talked about him quite a bit coming into this draft. So, um, insight on him as a draft pick. Okay, so Aru Karki, he's a byproduct of U20 star out of Finland. He is one of the best puck handlers on the back end in this class. He's it's pretty unique just how good he is as a handler. However, um, there's a there's a double-edged sword there. So he's over-reliant at this stage in his development as a defenseman with his handling. He overhandles the puck at the line when he needs to find that cleaner, safer, faster passing option. He sometimes doesn't hit it, and then he gets himself in trouble as a result of that. It also affects his exit rates. Um, this is a player with a lot of offensive upside if things go right. However, uh, he's also very raw when it comes to his retrieval and exits. Um, I lost a lot of interest for him in the second half of the season when I saw him play more internationally and then got to see more of him back in 20 start. His growth rate for me wasn't there, but I cannot deny the fact that he has modern day size, a modern day offensive skill set. He's a very gifted handler. And, and that means that if this playmaking come together in the coming years and he recognizes when he needs to handle it relative to make a pass, then he could really turn into something. Pretty, pretty interesting player to mold. One of the raw defensemen in this class. Well, yeah, and that's why he ended up going in late in the third round. And, and I get it because um, there's a lot to like. You just like you know that's going to take some time to sort of mold him into that uh, quickly as well. We got a couple of minutes left. Uh, let's talk about Matthew Cataford. Okay, so I haven't watched this player personally, um, so I'm relying on my scouting colleague and dear friend Jerome Barube, who's seen him a ton, uh, to give this report. This is out of the black book. Uh, so. The way that Matthew Catterford is described is an above average shooter who has good shot quality, but he's not a highlight reel type of player. He's not a dynamic offensive player by any stretch, even though he has very good goal rates in the queue. Uh, he's a 200 foot player. He's an honest player. He's responsible. He plays uh, within, he's a very structured player. He's a player who complements the line, not, does not project to be any sort of line driver. His skating has improved over the last couple of seasons. It's better. And he's, yeah. It's better, and uh, for some of the scout, some of the NHL scout quotes from him in our book, uh, a couple of them basically said, "Nice player, not for us. Where, where relative to the draft position, you need to take him." Uh, another scout said, "Really like his game, but don't know if the offensive ceiling is high enough to really justify the pick." And then uh, Jerome mentioned that he's a coach's dream, so very coachable. He's learned. Uh, very, very good off-puck habits, very detail-oriented detail player, had a good year, intelligent player, but it's just that offensive ceiling and trying to figure out how much you can draw out of it. Well, when you're taking a player at 77, you know, if you look at the totality of the, of, of the draft, not the team's individual list, but as a collective group, once you get into past 60, you know, you're really looking at those are the guys that are the cup of coffee guys. They'll play, they'll give you 100 100 games, maybe 50 to 150 games, somewhere in there. So in terms of like your description of what, you know, what Jerome thought, I thought in, in some similar fashion, what a lot of the other scouts thought it's, it's, it's right on mark from that standpoint. So this has been another edition of hockey prospect radio on Sirius XM NHL network radio powered by Instad hockey, junior prospect hockey league, fractal hockey consulting and outside edge player development. You can listen to the show on your favorite podcast network or on YouTube or follow us on Twitter at HP radio and hockey prospect radio.com. Uh, thank you to Brad and we will all see you 
at the rink.